Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Love in Basketball podcast. I'm your host, Adam Gearlock. As always, thank you so much for being here, and I'm so grateful for each and every one of you. The Love in Basketball podcast explores servant leadership on and off the court, seeking a fuller picture and deeper understandings of this vision for leadership that holds people and results together. Today's episode is a solo episode with me, exploring the connection of emotional intelligence and servant leadership. Going back to our foundational episode, What is Servant Leadership? Emotional intelligence is something that has been mentioned throughout the podcast, and our previous guest, Dr. Shan Furch, highlighted that the first person he was exposed to as a servant leader had a good sense of wisdom, loving regard, balance of love and power in healthy ways, and emotional intelligence. So this has been a concept that has come up throughout our time together. But like servant leadership, emotional intelligence might also be a term that's fraught with mystery and misunderstandings. And I would imagine that for those listening, emotional intelligence might mean a variety of different things. It might be thought of as a buzzword, but references to the term and how it's often used in popular media may not be an accurate portrayal of what the concept of emotional intelligence represents in academic research and leadership understandings. This episode is designed to break down some popular misconceptions of emotional intelligence, move towards deeper understandings of the term, and explore how fostering greater emotional intelligence might allow us to more greatly fulfill the best test of servant leadership. With that said, this will by no means be an exhaustive deep dive. It's difficult to contain the fullness and actual realities of all of emotional intelligence and servant leadership in just this short exploration. For better or for worse, that requires a longer-term journey, awareness, commitment, and intentional practice. A number of resources to aid your journey, perhaps, and continue your learnings on emotional intelligence and servant leadership are listed in the show notes. Robert Greenleaf's best test of servant leadership asks, Do those served grow as persons? Do they, while being served, become healthier, wiser, freer, more autonomous, more likely themselves to become servants? And what is the effect on the least privileged in society? Will they benefit or at least not be further deprived? I hope you leave today's episode with some additional characteristics of what servant leadership might look like and how those characteristics might be actualized out in the world and developed through fostering greater emotional intelligence. I hope you enjoy our exploration. In basketball or performance contexts, emotional intelligence might be thought of as accurately reading or interpreting the emotions of others, or controlling one's own emotions to avoid emotional or wildly expressive actions. And while these elements might be part of emotional intelligence, it's also a rather limited view that might not accurately grasp what the larger construct of emotional intelligence is designed to represent. If emotional intelligence is only thought to be interpreting the emotions of others, We might ignore our own emotions, leading to expressing our emotions in inappropriate ways, harming our relationships, and potentially undermining our decision-making. Controlling one's own emotions to avoid wildly expressive reactions might be a healthier response that has a greater likelihood of resulting in positive benefits for performance and relationships. Emotional self-regulation and leadership often provides a stabilizing influence on peers and those entrusted to our care particularly in times of crisis. But this view of emotional intelligence, an emphasis on toughness and a kind of denial of emotions, may result in limited self-perception, undermining our own emotional self-awareness and stress tolerance. 
This may also cultivate responses that deny our full humanity and the humanity of others during difficult circumstances, or when empathetic engagement would be a more life-giving response, helping to foster greater trust, psychological safety, and resilience. Ironically enough, while both of these popular media views of emotional intelligence may contain some elements of the concept, their limited nature may result in less emotionally intelligent behaviors. Emotional intelligence, or EQ, is a term coined and formally defined by researchers Peter Salovey and John Mayer back in 1990, and refers to a collection of social-emotional skills. The term is further popularized by Daniel Goleman in his 1995 book, Emotional Intelligence. The tagline of Goleman's book was Emotional Intelligence, Why It Can Matter More Than IQ, and so we immediately see it pitted against IQ and promoted as a form of intelligence. But one of the central questions of Goleman's book is, how can we bring intelligence to our emotions? I'll offer the following formal definition of emotional intelligence, which comes from the EQI 2.0 Emotional Intelligence Assessment, a measure of emotional intelligence based on the original research of Reuven bar When I refer to emotional intelligence, this definition is what I'm referring to. Emotional intelligence refers to a set of emotional and social skills that influence the way we perceive and express ourselves, develop and maintain social relationships, cope with challenges, and use emotional information in an effective and meaningful way. So we see here a much more robust definition of EQ than the popular views offered earlier. Those misconceptions might be viewed as tactics or strategies to be adopted and applied in specific circumstances, something that's just slapped on. But under this definition, emotional intelligence is the water that we swim in to some extent. It becomes a sort of master aptitude that we experience all the time, or in the words of Goleman, a capacity that profoundly affects all other abilities, either facilitating or interfering with them. EQ touches almost every aspect of our lives, from leadership to performance to well-being and emotional and social functioning. Our technical skills, our behaviors and actions, any strategy we might implement for better performance, all tie back to and oftentimes can only be as effective as our foundation of emotional intelligence allows. So if emotional intelligence refers to a set of emotional and social skills, what are those skills? Previous research and articles by Daniel Goleman and Harvard Business Review articles, What Makes a Leader and Leadership That Gets Results, identify the following emotional intelligence competencies. Self-awareness, self-regulation, motivation, empathy, and social skill. These were later distilled down a bit to self-awareness, self-regulation, social awareness, and social skill, with specific traits underneath each of these capabilities. But to continue using the definition of emotional intelligence offered earlier, Reuven Baran developed a model for emotional intelligence with five general areas or realms. These five areas are self-perception, which concerns your ability to know and manage yourself, self-expression, which deals with the way you face the world and take what you're feeling internally and move it into outward expression, interpersonal, which concerns your ability to interact and get along with others, moving your expression of emotions into relationships with others. Decision-making, involving your ability to use your emotions to help you solve problems and make choices in an effective way, and stress management, which concerns your ability to adapt to change, effectively cope with difficult situations, and be hopeful about the future. 
This model of emotional intelligence also contains 15 subscales, which are divided into those five general areas to include three per area. We see skills like self-regard, the ability to respect and accept yourself. Emotional expression, openly expressing emotions both verbally and non-verbally in a constructive way. Empathy, the ability to be aware of, understand, and appreciate the feelings and thoughts of others, tuning into what another might be thinking or feeling. Impulse control, lengthening the distance between stimulus and response to put the brakes on rash, angry, or irresponsible behaviors. And flexibility, the ability to adjust emotions, thoughts, and behaviors as we change and the situations and conditions around us also change. I'll touch on three specific emotional intelligence subscales with a bit more depth, emotional self-awareness, empathy, and impulse control, and offer some practices to support your development towards becoming a more emotionally intelligent leader. Perhaps as you're listening, it might be helpful to think about these skills in a basketball context. What might you see from a leader who's higher in each of these subscales, maybe lower in each of these subscales, and what about each of these subscales might be important for effective leadership? Emotional self-awareness is one of our first building blocks in emotional intelligence. It's the ability to recognize your emotions, differentiate between them, and also know why you're feeling what you're feeling. At higher levels of emotional intelligence, you can differentiate between more nuanced levels of emotions. Instead of just being angry, you might be frustrated, annoyed, or defensive. A practice to support developing greater emotional self-awareness is to take your emotional temperature. Seek to identify what you're feeling. What happened that triggered this emotion for you? And in what ways did that impact your behavior? Empathy is a skill that supports better relationships. We often associate this as putting ourselves in someone else's shoes or tuning into what they might be thinking or feeling. I'll encourage you to not just think of empathy as involving your head and your heart, but also your hands. At higher levels of empathy, tuning into what someone else might be thinking or feeling also changes your behavior, doing something differently as a result of that different perspective. A practice to support developing greater empathy involves listening first. Seek first to understand others, and then perhaps ask yourself, how might I change my actions or behavior? What do I need to do differently now as a result? Impulse control is a skill that supports making better decisions. With greater impulse control, we're able to lengthen the distance between stimulus and response, avoiding rash, angry, or irresponsible behaviors. Sometimes this is actually allowing for more time between an event and our response. And sometimes this looks like a greater internal pause, giving ourselves a longer beat, a deeper breath, before acting in a way that might better serve yourself and others. As Viktor Frankl, Holocaust survivor, famous psychologist, and author of Man's Search for Meaning once said, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and freedom. So it's these 15 subscales, and not all of them are referenced in this episode, within the five general areas that come together to form the model of emotional intelligence used in the EQI 2.0 assessment. One of the reasons I keep going back to the definitions offered by Reuven Baran and used in the EQI 2.0 assessment is that this is the world's only scientifically standardized trait-based emotional intelligence assessment, which means in part that it can be used as a development tool. It provides a model and helps inform our capacity to move towards greater emotional intelligence and more effective leadership. 
IQ is largely genetic and can't be changed very much. And the same holds for personality, which is often measured by something like the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator or MBTI. Personality is relatively fixed and stable across time. On the other hand, research shows that emotional intelligence can be changed. These are skills that can be learned at any age, but developing greater emotional intelligence does not happen on its own. It takes a concerted effort, awareness, reflection, and intentional practice to move towards greater emotional intelligence and expression of that through emotionally intelligent behaviors out in the world. So using the model of emotional intelligence from the EQI 2.0 allows us to have a direct conversation about the topic. It provides language and definitions around emotional intelligence that are backed by over 20 years of scientific research. Using the model also frames the conversation in a generative way that might provide the opportunity for and support the development of greater emotional intelligence. This episode won't automatically make you more emotionally intelligent, but perhaps bringing this fuller definition, the general areas and some of the subscales to the surface create new levels of awareness and reflection for you. At this point, hopefully some deeper understandings of what emotional intelligence is and what it entails are beginning to come into focus. So we'll turn now towards EQ's applications for leadership. Perhaps at this point you might be looking for my broad definition of what leadership is and what it isn't, and I don't mean to veer off into a debate about differing definitions of leadership or coming up with the perfect academic definition, but I do think it's important to acknowledge leadership as a behavior rather than a position. We often think of leadership as someone holding positional power or authority, and thus leadership may be thought of as something that is positional. But the positional definition of the term or limiting definitions of leadership to certain demographics does little to help our understandings of effective or ineffective leadership. The behaviors of leadership perhaps are taking our education and technical skills and cognitive ability and applying it out in the world through interpersonal interaction. Sometimes positional authority and power has an impact on that, but sometimes it doesn't. The behavior of leadership is inherent to each and every one of us, and that shows up through the impact of being in relationship with one another and interpersonal interaction. It might also be important to differentiate between IQ and EQ at this point in the conversation, because there's lots of research touting the impact of EQ over IQ for effective leadership. It's certainly hard to discount the role of cognitive ability and technical skills in being an effective leader. Someone that lacks a foundation of general mental ability and technical skills may certainly have some difficulty moving towards more behaviors of effective leadership, like effective communication, delegation, and decision-making. But I invite you to take a moment to think about the best leaders you have ever known personally, maybe someone who had a positive impact on your daily life. What made them such good leaders? The Dower Institute for New Leaders at Rice University has posed this very question to hundreds of professionals, and every time they do, the percentage that references something in the realm of IQ, such as the leader was really smart or they had the best solution all the time, is under 10%. Most often, it's under 5%. What makes up the other 90-95% to of people's responses falls under the broad category of EQ. They listened really well. They were calm under pressure. They were patient. They cared deeply about me. As the Doer Institute writes in its new book, Leadership Reckoning, the strong leaders who come to mind when we ask people this question 
are likely to all have high IQ, but it's their high EQ that makes them stand out from leaders with equal power and authority and IQ who are nonetheless ineffective. Further research supports this as well. A study from Indiana University's Kelly School of Business found emotional intelligence to be two times more important for entrepreneurial success than general mental ability. In entrepreneurship, we might see greater breadth of leadership and importance of leadership skills perhaps than in just management roles. Additionally, in a separate study, EQ is found to be directly responsible for between 27 to 45% of job success, while IQ is found to predict on average only 6% of success in a given job. And in a study through the Center for Creative Leadership, emotional intelligence accounted for approximately 28% of leadership performance. EQ is found to be a driver of collective flourishing as well. In team or group environments, as Daniel Goleman states, the key to a high group IQ is social harmony, which allows a group to take advantage of the full talent of its members. In groups where there are high levels of emotional and social static, people cannot offer their best. The key to a group intelligence is not the average IQ, but rather in terms of emotional intelligence. It remains that all the work ever accomplished is achieved only in the context of relationships. When relationships are undermined or pushed to the side, the possibility for great work, creating the results we truly desire, and fulfilling our highest potentials is greatly diminished or sadly eliminated. If a leader is to be concerned with results, the primal role of a leader then becomes the emotional and relational domains. Bolstered by a leader identity, which provides the catalyst for stepping into leadership roles and taking on responsibilities and behaviors of leadership, emotional intelligence provides the foundation of skills needed to be effective in that role. But sadly, as highlighted earlier, leadership is often attributed to positional authority. and is outlined in a recent article by McKinsey titled The Boss Factor, Making the World a Better Place Through Workplace Relationships. People who get ahead tend to be either current high performers or those who appear most leader-like. Research cited in the article suggests that the most productive individuals typically have high levels of technical skills and personal drive, but only 30% of them are likely to become the kind of leaders that prioritize and support employee satisfaction. And Gallup research holds that only 1 in 10 people possess the necessary traits that great managers exhibit. These traits include building relationships that create trust, open dialogue, and transparency. These traits are connected to a foundation of emotional intelligence as represented by empathy, emotional self-awareness, and flexibility. They're also representative of servant leadership characteristics, again drawing on empathy, in addition to building community and commitment to the growth of people. The Gallup research contends that only 1 in 10 people possess these necessary traits, and that number may be given the current state of things rather than a fixed number due to genetics. But remember that emotional intelligence can be developed, and perhaps with a greater focus on emotional intelligence development and leader development practices, that 1 in 10 percentage can also be increased. With this data in mind, it's not unfounded to say that many people in leadership positions are ineffective leaders, lacking in emotional intelligence and leadership skills, and that many individuals achieve leadership positions through the inappropriate ambition and power drive highlighted in our previous episode by Dr. Shan Furch which may manifest in self-centeredness, overconfidence, 
narcissism, playing organizational politics, and risk-prone behavior. We see a lack of emotional intelligence in these behaviors, which might be represented perhaps by lower-end impulse control and interpersonal relationships, maybe coupled with out-of-balance assertiveness. Unfortunately, those who get ahead by appearing to be leader-like reinforces poor leadership behaviors, and this selection process becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Again, from the Dower Institute's book, Leadership Reckoning, those who could bring something else to the table, such as emotional intelligence, respect for others, empathy, and an ability to listen, decide that the table isn't really for them at all, and those who resonate with the stereotype pull up and claim their seat. Robert Greenleaf distinguishes between the servant first and the leader first, writing that the servant leader is servant first. Becoming a servant leader begins with the natural feeling that one wants to serve, to serve first, then conscious choice brings one to aspire to lead. That person is sharply different from the one who is leader first, perhaps because of the need to assuage an unusual power drive or to acquire material possessions. For such people, it will be a later choice to serve, after leadership is established. Greenleaf continues that the difference manifests itself in the care taken by the servant first to make sure that other people's highest priority needs are being served. The best test and most difficult to administer is this. Do those served grow as persons? Do they, while being served, become healthier, wiser, freer, more autonomous, more likely themselves to become servants? And what is the effect on the least privileged in society? Will they benefit or at least not be further deprived? The leader-first disposition, so prevalent in positional notions of leadership and in organizational life and performance-driven cultures referenced in the McKinsey article, too often results in diminished workplace relationships and well-being. Research shows that relationships with management are the top factor in employees' job satisfaction, which in turn is the second most important determinant of employees' overall well-being. Yet this same research shows that most people find their leaders to be far from ideal, with 75% of survey respondents citing their immediate boss as the most stressful aspect of their job. Not only does this type of leadership result in decreased employee well-being, it's also tied to decreased performance, as measured by customer satisfaction, staff turnover, profitability, and employee productivity. This type of leadership, lacking in emotional intelligence, and failing to place the emotional and relational as primal fails to live up to Greenleaf's best test, and those, while being led, become less healthy, less wise, less autonomous across multiple measures. To a large extent, emotionally intelligent leadership is servant leadership. As stated in the same McKinsey article, the sizable role a boss plays in employee satisfaction and organizational performance provides an intriguing contrast with the simple measures needed to improve it. The fundamental elements are the same as with any other human relationship. Mutual trust, encouragement, empathy, and good communication. These attributes create a supportive environment where employees can feel psychologically safe and satisfied and deliver their best work. Perhaps the antidotes to the four horsemen developed by the Gottman Institute and referenced by Dr. Furch also hold here. Instead of defensiveness, the antidote is openness. Rather than stonewalling or blocking, we have surrender. Instead of criticism, there's living in a complementary way towards others, which looks like 8 to 10 positives for every one negative exchange. And rather than contempt, there's unconditional regard. 
In this quote, we see a one-to-one with several subscales of emotional intelligence, emotional expression, assertiveness, interpersonal relationships, empathy, optimism, just to name a few. We also see represented several of the ten characteristics of servant leadership, such as listening, healing, awareness, persuasion, and commitment to the growth of people. In our most recent episode with Dr. Shan Furch, he stated, The beauty of servant leadership is that the power is not in my hands. The power is in those that are around you. Can they freely say that being around you, they become more wise, more free, more autonomous, more healthy? This is rarely accomplished through leading first. This is primarily accomplished through serving first. And while serving first and attending to others' highest priority needs is not guaranteed through emotional intelligence, it certainly increases its likelihood. Thank you so much for being here, and I'm so grateful for each and every one of you. You'll find resources from this episode to continue your learnings on emotional intelligence and servant leadership in the show notes. If you're interested in the EQI 2.0 Emotional Intelligence Assessment and Emotional Intelligence Coaching for yourself, your student-athletes, or your program, please reach out. As one of my clients highlighted, the EQI simplified where I need to grow and how I need to do it. A statement like this is supported by management consulting firm Corn Ferry and their research. Corn Ferry notes that for development to have a lasting difference, people must be clear on what skill or behavior to improve, be motivated enough to make the change, and know what steps to take. Utilizing the EQI 2.0 assessment and working with a leadership coach helps provide these crucial elements, self-insights, motivation, and a development framework for effective long-term growth and development. You can reach me via email at adam at adamgcoaching.com. Next week's episode features a conversation with Josh Prock, head women's basketball coach at Eastern New Mexico University. Coach Prock is entering his eighth season as head coach of the Greyhounds. His tenure at Eastern New Mexico features three NCAA tournament appearances in the last four seasons, including the first tournament berth in school history and Conference Coach of the Year honors. Subscribe now, share with others, and I'd love to hear from you. Rate and comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or reach out with questions, reflections, and feedback via social media. You can find me on Twitter, at Adam Gearlock, or Instagram, at Adam.Gearlock, or email me at Adam at AdamGCoaching.com. I'm so excited to continue to explore servant leadership and share love in basketball with you. Thank you.